as we think on the topic of ministering, ministering to others. And I was really touched by some of the qualities that were shared, and I started writing them down, and I was thinking, why didn't I do this way earlier? I could put all of these into the sermon tonight. And then when we started to contemplate all the different ministries that are represented in the room tonight. This is not one of those messages where we're going to preach on ministry to try to push people into ministering more and serving more and doing more and get off the pew. That would seem wholly inappropriate in this setting tonight with most of us who are gathered. Would to God that someone would listen and say, hey, I should step out and minister more. That's a a good thing. But kind of looking at this topic of ministry tonight, I'm going to a chapter I love, I go to often, one of my favorite places in the Bible, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Of course, verse 24 is our verse that we've been memorizing for this year that Pastor Walker has tied to our theme of total commitment. And depending on how far we go down into the chapter tonight, we're likely to end up there. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 20 at verse 17. And I'll read a few verses for us before I get in uh, to the message. And from Miletus, he, the Apostle Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know that from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this evening as we're in your word and we consider uh, this topic that you would just draw us closer to you and make us even more fit for the ministry or ministries you've called us to be involved in. We do love you. We love your word. We pray that your word and spirit will have free course in the moments to follow. And we do all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we find ourselves in the scriptures, as I said, one of my very favorite chapters, Acts chapter 20. In fact, anyone who gets a prayer card or sees a prayer letter that I send out will always see somewhere on it Acts 20, 21, because that verse had a lot to do with how I see ministry, especially the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I often come to that. We find ourselves uh, in this chapter, the setting is the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his third missionary journey. And so over some years before that, from 46 AD to 57 AD, about the time we find ourselves here in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul has had a wonderful ministry, an incredible ministry. It gives us a map of ministry if we were to study all of those missionary journeys. And even after what's called the third missionary journey, even in his later years, some people call that a fourth missionary journey. Even as he was traveling and being taken and standing trial and things like that, he just kept ministering and ministering. He was a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I will say from the outset that all of us are ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we take our definition that uh, has already been suggested very well by what people said, to assist others, to help others, to comfort others, I mean, there's no greater need of assistance than for a person to hear and have the opportunity to respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it frames every other ministry. And so if we would speak of a teaching ministry or missions or lending a hand ministry or all these different ministries that were mentioned, we would want to say that every one of them would be connected to this idea of ministering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to others. And so as we look at this particular chapter, the Apostle Paul is very reflective on his own ministry. He takes time to share a lot about himself. He calls all those Ephesian elders to this place called Miletus because he expects, if you read to the end of the chapter, that he will not see them again. He's bound for Jerusalem. He has a sense that his church planting ministry is probably waning. And so you're going to see in the epistles he's writing, he's writing a lot in his epistles also to pass on that wisdom that he's gained in the ministry. Of course, doing that under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Minister, the verb, to attend to the needs of someone. We heard that tonight. To provide something necessary or helpful. We heard that tonight. We didn't need to go to the dictionary to see that. It also sometimes has a specific meaning. And the word has become a very churchy word. Unless you're in other countries. If you were to go to Samoa, not American Samoa, because they use U.S. terminology. But in Samoa, all the government department heads are referred to as ministers. And you don't call it the bureau or the department or agency. You call it the Ministry of Finances, the Ministry of Agriculture, because they use that term in that way. We say act as a minister of religion or to act as one who serves. And the noun form, member of a clergy, we certainly use that. He's a minister. We call sometimes the reverend uh, so-and-so to speak of a minister a head of government, also a diplomatic agent, usually ranking just below an ambassador. So sometimes you'll hear this word in a technical sense related to government, but most of all what we're familiar with in here is, oh, this ministry, that ministry, that ministry. Yes, he's one of our ministers. Whereas in in the world, meeting people, you usually aren't speaking of, yes, I'd like to come and visit you tonight so I can minister to you. That would sound funny to an unchurched person, am I right? That's probably not the language you would adopt. Oh yeah, I'd love to come visit you. You, you, Other terms that are familiar in church, but not necessarily outside of church. I want to come to your house so we can fellowship and I can minister to you. And out in the marketplace, often that would seem bizarre, unless someone were familiar with our language. But here we know, we we know this word very well, so well, in fact, that we might not pause once in a while and reflect exactly what it means to be involved in this ministry, to be involved in small group ministry or all these different ones that were mentioned. So let's look at some of these things that we see. We already heard. I don't think Pastor Dave knew this on his own. I think he peeked at my notes. But that the word minister is diakonos. 
Sometimes it's even doulos in the scriptures, at least in the context of certain passages. So meaning to serve or to, to be a servant or even a slave or a bondman. We find in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28, as soon as I read these verses, they'll be very, very familiar. This is when the mother of Zebedee went and she uh, wanted the two of her children to have the chief seats, to to sit at his right hand and his left hand side. And you remember the others got indignant toward her sons. Jesus says, but it shall not be so among you, for whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. In the ESV, their servant. In the Greek, diakonos. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That word is slave or doulos. And you see them together. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. So we could take the life of Christ tonight and show him in, as a servant. We can go to John chapter 13 and how he gave that as an example when he washed the disciples' feet and he told them that that is their example to do. That would be a great way to dig into this topic as well. But we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul this evening. And so if you would follow with me on a few things. The first thing to minister And say, Lord, help me as I minister in whatever ministry I'm involved in. And as I pray for others who are in ministry, you know, it really doesn't matter. It can be Phil over here painting walls and painting how uh, uh, he did painting at our house. That's a ministry. It's a service. But it's the interactions that happen. It's the people you meet, the discussions that it opens up, the relationships that it forms. So really any aspect of ministry, this would really help. Having the right manner of ministry. See, the Apostle Paul said there, when they came to him, you know that from the first day I came into this area and began serving after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Serving, in verse 19, it starts out. So any ministry we get involved in, it begins with our manner, our way of conducting, how I will conduct myself in this ministry right from the beginning, the very meaning of the word itself. I'm here to serve, not to be recognized. It might be an official capacity into which one is ordained. One becomes a minister of the gospel, a preacher. One becomes a deacon. One is appointed a head usher, whatever. It might be a position, but oh, let it never be about position. Let it be about an opportunity to serve. We don't create ministries and come up with a new idea for a new ministry to give someone a new title. And I'm not suggesting anyone here who does serve would have that motivation, but one can fall into that. But Paul said, you know in what manner I have uh, been here with you, serving, and then number two, with all humility of mind. I heard someone say, Humility, being humble. What's an essential quality of one who ministers, of a servant in the ministry? And here we're examining one of the greatest ministers ever. The greatest, barring the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us would agree with that. And he says, how I've served you with all humility of mind. If ever there were a person who can say, look at the scope of our ministry. 
Sometimes we stand up and say when we're referring to the school ministry, Faith Christian School, it's almost become a tagline, the largest ministry at Faith Baptist Church. And I know what is meant by that, but I'm really careful with that as well, as if somehow because we're the biggest, we're the best. And then someone else might say, well, our ministry is this. Or we with small groups may say, our small group is this size. And then you walk by our room and you're like, I see that when they come around to do the count, they could almost do it on one hand sometimes. That type of thing. Boy, it's easy in ministry to start to try to measure the worth of the ministry by ridiculous forms of measure. Its size, how long. This is the oldest ministry of this church. Or something like that. Let it not be so with any one of us. When we minister two people for the Lord, it's of great worth. There's no greater ministry or lesser ministry. Uh, And just praise the Lord for that. I like what Peter wrote, 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. I love that phrase. I often will say, especially when I'm going into a a situation that might be difficult. It might be difficult because a a relationship has been strained. Or it might be difficult because you're dealing with someone who has been very hurt in one way or another. And I will often start just in speaking to the Lord. I'll just remind myself, I must bathe this in prayer and be clothed with humility. Amen? You prepare for a meeting and some people have opinions that go contrary to the way you want it and they ask things and maybe not everyone uses the most polished and polite tone and all of a sudden you're tempted. Oh, bathe yourself in prayer. Clothe yourself in humility. Because when the Apostle Paul, I don't know how many will get done with these. I have four areas with a lot underneath, but we'll do what we do tonight clothed with humility. Approach every aspect. And I believe God blesses that because the word says right there, he resists the proud. If the devil's going to get himself inserted into this thing and mess up this church and mess up any ministry of this church and mess up any person who is ministering in this church, believe me, his main tactic will be to insert pride into there, to try to provoke pride on your part and my part. And so, Lord, help us. He says, I'm still in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, many tears and trials and hardships and difficulties and afflictions that he experienced in the ministry over the years. Sometimes what we consider something that is so upsetting to us uh, as we're serving in the ministry and maybe our motives are questioned or even maligned or something like that happens in the ministry and it bothers us. Oh, we do well to go to Acts chapter 20 and even consider the things that the Apostle Paul patiently endured. See, there is really... I just don't think there's any ministry that's worth its salt that doesn't come with a challenge. If ministry is merely, oh, I'm glad to minister and serve when it's convenient 
And when it's easy, it's probably not going to have the impact. Teaching is not easy. Amen, teacher? That is a hard ministry. And there are days I know you want to pull your hair out because I know who your principal is. And you just go crazy. And the students and the, then the not-my-child parent comes in and this kind of stuff. And there must be days when you say, is it worth it? You see, someone who has a heart for ministry will serve with tears through a lot of trials. And the answer is, I know my dear teacher colleagues over here would agree with me. Yes, it's worth it. Yes, it's worth it. They'll especially say that during summer break. Get them in the middle of March and their question, they may hesitate. Amen. It is worth it. And whatever the ministry might be, to have this idea in mind, see, the manner of ministry will be that I will serve with humility of mind and with long-suffering, with patience that endures because ministries will have trials because ministry, by its very definition, has to do with people. It's somebody serving someone else, someone helping someone else, someone comforting someone else. And whenever you get more than one person involved in the equation, you have the possibility, if not the likelihood, for trials and temptations to come. The Apostle Paul would say to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 3, endure hardness as a good soldier. So thank you for all of those who spoke and many who didn't and those who are involved in many aspects of ministry here at Faith Baptist Church. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for embracing a theme of total commitment and saying all these things that I know that the Apostle Paul is going to say later that await me, the things that will befall me. None of these things move me. I count not my life dear to myself. Sorry, I don't have that memorized in ESV. I have that memorized in KJV. And I'm trying to, I'm trying that, that old expression, he can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> but boy, rememorizing something that you already have memorized is harder than memorizing something. But anyway, endure hardness. James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And so I encourage you, keep it up. Thank you for all of you who minister in small ways and big ways and all kinds of ways. And let this Wednesday night be something that just encourages you and bolsters you and says, keep serving, clothed with humility and with a realistic understanding that it won't always be easy, but will endure. Sometimes you'll just come and want to be a servant to make a beautiful kindergarten set and end up with knee pain and surgery that results. Thank you for every act of service and the hardships that come along with it. Number two, having the right method. How we do ministry. Something I really love at this church, because a lot of this stuff is new to me. I've never done small group. And all of a sudden I'm doing a small group, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Sunday school beforehand... And church service afterhand. I'm already adjusting to the new songs and different versions going off my ears. I'm already adjusting to those things. And now, not only do we have small group, would you be willing to do one? And I'm like, yes, I can do that. But you know, someone puts a book on my desk, one of the other pastors, about small groups. 
And I'm, oh, I get tools and I get help and suggested methods and ways of doing it. Not that I've implemented too many of them, but baby steps, baby steps. What is this idea? Equipping people for the ministry that they, they are involved in, but having the right methods. See, the Apostle Paul says in verse 20, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. First part I see that he didn't keep back that was, which was profitable. A ministry, I believe, gains depth and worth when it costs the one ministering something. And I think anyone will say that. You talk to his church treasurer and he will say what he has to pour into that and figure out and think and the, the work that's involved, but it's worthwhile. And as you find out, oh, better methods to do this, we finance guys may say, oh, there's a better method of doing this. We've learned this regulation. We've learned that thing. We want to do it better. Report Whatever ministry it is to have the right or have better ways of doing things. And one of those is being willing to not hold back. A ministry that takes some sacrifice. You know, intentionality take sacrifice. You can jump in and just do something, but when you're intentional about it, because you want not to hold back anything that's profitable, that takes a little more work in reading and study and consideration and being willing to listen to some other points of view, being willing to take criticism once in a while, even when that criticism doesn't come from your, the sources you think should be criticizing you. Sometimes people who criticize us will dismiss them because Maybe we discount them because of something in their life. We'll point out the five errors that we know of in their life instead of saying, hey, you know, they really have something that could be useful for me and make the ministry I do more profitable. I like, in the Apostle Paul's case, how he says, and I ministered publicly and from house to house. One of my favorite ministries that I'm involved in back in Samoa is the Samoan Bibles and going village to village and house to house. I love that. Of course, that corresponds very nicely. I think maybe Phil with his painting ministry ought to go house to house. Just knock on the next door. I'm here to paint your house. Your house. And some, I guess, it might not apply so much. But I think of that. The, what a blessing it's been for Emmy and me and the group from our church as we spread out and we do one village at a time. You always go ahead of time and make sure it's okay with the village chiefs and all those kind of protocols you have to do. And then those doors are open and they know you're coming. And the opportunities, it opens. The idea, though, for us to take from this, because not every ministry will be a house-to-house ministry, and boy, that's getting harder and harder in the state of New Jersey, but the idea that any ministry we have has to have an outward thing. I think all the ministries that we have at this church have to take us outside of these walls. They have to take us to where the ministry spreads out further and further and touches more people. And the degree to which our ministries do that, they are, that they have a public outreach aspect to them, I think there are so many people we can reach with that. You still with me, church? Shall we say amen and close or go on to the next one? I'm not going to listen to your answer anyway. We need the right message. That's the third point here. Yes, I still like to make my letters match. I like alliteration. The pastors can make fun of me later. 
This verse means so much to me in verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It is important that we have Sunday night series where we study systematic theology, even if it's just little glimpses of it. It is important that we have teaching going on. It is important that we don't just have preaching to wind us up and motivate us, to either make us feel better about ourselves or to make us feel worse about ourselves so that we can start doing more. We need more than that kind of fluff. We need the kind of preaching, and praise God, we have it here. We have preaching that has a lot of teaching underlying it. We can grow in the Word. But we need the right message. And the reason Acts 20.21 is on prayer cards and everything is because it takes both repentance and faith. For Miss Priya's sake, I'm going to do a math equation with variables. R plus F equals S. Amen? Huh? Repentance plus faith equals salvation. R plus F equals S. If you get the order wrong, you get the message wrong. It's in the equation will not work. Or there are some denominations, sects, whatever you want to call it, religions, who throw them both out because it's purely work salvation. So it's not about repenting toward God and placing faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I know because I came from that system before I got born again. There are some who switch the order. There are some who leave the one out. This easy believism, neo-evangelism, however you say that, uh, evangelical churches that totally erase the repentance part. And if you just believe Jesus is the answer, yes, and if you just believe in Him and get saved today with no talk of repentance... That is not the gospel, one bit. For by grace are you saved through faith. That grace is God extending his grace and pointing out in a person's life that they're in sin and in need of a Savior. That's a work that God does. There is none that seeketh after him, it says in Romans chapter 3. And so God, by his grace, presents to the lost person their need. And they respond to that. Repentance is a response to God's grace. And to subtract that out, to try to erase that, leads to a false gospel. And I would tell you, if you would take about 90% 90 even of Baptist gospel tracts when you go traveling around, you won't find repentance referred to very much at all. If sin is spoken of, it's more like an intellectual ascent. But it's very important when we are ministering with people, they have to get lost before they can get found. They have to recognize their sin problem as more than just an intellectual ascent. Yeah, we know, yeah, we know nobody's perfect. None of us are, are good. Yeah, we know that it has to be more than that. You have to meet a person where the grace of God is revealing to them their sin condition and their need of salvation. Why am I saying this tonight? We're not preaching on soteriology. 
Because if we're going to be intentional in every ministry that we do in wanting to present the gospel to people, we must have that balance. That starts with teachers in the classroom, with young children. It can't just be a matter of getting that child to say what you want them to say. That's easy. We can do it all day long. I can go into a kindergarten class and generate a a salvation decision from every one of them. I can go in there, have a little fun with them, talk about who would like to go to heaven. Heaven's a beautiful place. Heaven has this and heaven has that. Who would like to go there? You know how you can? You can pray this prayer and generate a bunch of false professions of faith. Oh, I would pray that there's no one in here tonight. I don't believe so, but it could be possible that somehow you assented to say a little prayer and you were declared saved and then you were heaped on with assurance of salvation, but there's never been a genuine repentance. Repentance doesn't have to look like, you know, crying at an altar, but a repentance is because God revealed this to me, I am turning around Metanoia, I am turning around in my whole way that I view myself and how I view God and my need for him. So when he says testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God in faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, we must minister with the right message. There are churches out there, there are cults out there that do an amazing job of ministering to people's needs. The Mormon cult, for example, are all over the South Pacific, and they spread like wildfire. In the Samoan Islands, they are the largest growing church, and they have gone from less than five to more than 15% of the population in those churches in just a couple decades and growing. They come in well-funded, put up a building. They have all kinds of welfare programs, bring water tanks out to the villages. So they have big grain catchment tanks in this project and that project. They even have a little welfare system for people who are poor. And they minister to physical needs, but then minister a false gospel. And so it is important as we minister to minister at all levels. That might be bottles of water handed out at a parade. That may be meeting a physical need to hopefully expand awareness that we have a ministry here. But if they were to come to this ministry and not hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if our people who are out there ministering don't have this sequence, what's the use? I heard it said this way, all you do when you don't minister in preaching the gospel, if you do all that stuff, all you're doing is making earth a better place from which to go to hell. That's an odd way to put it, but it really is the truth. If I say, I'm going to minister and I'm going to feed, feed the poor and help the sick and have a medical clinic, but the intentionality of that medical clinic or whatever that ministry is, isn't to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that people would repent toward God in response to his grace and would exercise faith for by grace, the means through faith, the medium are you saved. See, if we're not ministering the gospel, that's exactly what we're doing. We're just making people a little more comfortable 
temporarily. And they'll be awfully uncomfortable eternally. Uh, Let that get a hold of us and say, wow, I want to be intentional in ministry. And finally, I'll go with this. Well, we've come to 8 o'clock anyway, so I'll skip over that. Uh, You can read on yourself and see the right mindset. We didn't even get to our verse tonight, but none of these things move me. But I'll say these points very quickly and we'll close because the hour has come to have a courageous mindset, to have a mindset for, for ministry. Like we said before, it won't be easy, so we need to endure, endure hardness, but to be courageous. Whatever was facing Paul, he had a courage of his convictions and kept sharing that gospel. He had a biblical mindset. Uh, he would be able to say, I take up to... Uh, you to record this day that I am pure of the blood of all men. Why? Because he didn't shun to declare the whole counsel of God's word. And he also had a cautious mindset. He said, take heed for there are wolves. And I thought I'd have a little more time to go on the wolves because I like that part. But he spoke of wolves that would tear up the ministry. He spoke of ones from out, from outside and ones from inside. Every ministry matters. Every ministry you're involved in, whatever it is, it matters. The big drama mattered. The people who constructed the set behind the scenes mattered. Every ministry matters. And therefore, every ministry will have a target for the devil himself, for our enemy to attack it. And we must be aware of that, be intentional in that, and keep ourselves, going back to the beginning, clothed in humility. Let's close our service now in prayer. Father, I thank you for faces I look at tonight, some in the balcony, some here. I thank you, Lord, for those who may be listening in or viewing tonight. So many people involved in so many ministries here. It's a thing, Lord, that has wowed me about this church the more I get to know it. It's wowed me that you minister through so many people here. And so, Lord, I just want to thank you for working in their hearts in that way. And just praise you for that, Lord. And express my thanksgiving for them, for all who are involved in ministry. And I pray, Lord, that you would expand these ministries, that we'd reach more people with it, and that you'd strengthen us as the days get more challenging for us to get closer to you and more desirous to serve others, to minister to others. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.